This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So we have begun a new sort of cycle series that will take us all the way until Lent. And every Sunday we're going to be tackling a parable. Uh, Parables uh, are a very specific kind of story that Jesus uses to do teaching and to try to shock us into doing something differently than we're doing. Jesus asks us with these parables, do you have ears to hear? Can you hear what I'm saying, and are you willing to move your feet? So what is a parable? Just to review this, and we looked at this a little bit last week, so we don't need to go over it all again, but it's a very short story. It tells something about God. It tells something about humanity. It is set in the time and place of Jesus. This is where sometimes we go wrong in our interpretations as we don't remember to go back to Jesus' very first hearers and listen the way that they would have heard it. It is addressed to real people, real people on the ground, and they're about real issues, discipleship, money, grace, responsibility. They dismay and or surprise us. Oftentimes you're going along in the story, nodding your head, and then all of a sudden Jesus will pull a fast one, and you find yourself going, wait, wait, what just happened? What just happened? And it is directed to life on this earth. As Klein Snodgrass, wonderfully, I just think he encapsulates that. So often we want to imagine biblical interpretations as being celestial because, of course, we're so connected in that way. God is connected to us here on earth. And so as interested in we are in the celestial, God is interested in us here on earth. And these parables show that. So here we have a very short story that couldn't be simpler. This particular story is only four verses. A farmer scatters seeds on the ground, then goes about his daily life. The seed sprouts and the crops grow. And it is not the farmer who does that, but the earth and the seed itself From the seed grows the stalk, then the kernels, then the grain ripens. And when the grain is ripe, the farmer cuts the grain for the harvest. So the story is the easy part, right? We can all understand this, scattering grain, watching it grow, and harvesting. Digging in, let's take a look about who these first hearers would be. Jesus is in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and he is surrounded by crowds who have heard of him across Judea. They have come to see him, hear him, ask him for healing. He would have been understood at this point as a kind of a holy man. And word is leaking out that he might be the Messiah. But Mark, uh, Mark is kind of uh, secretive about that, which is kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon of the book of Mark. But these particular crowd, this is not uh, the people. In the Greek, this word is oxlos. And you'll hear me talk about this on and off Uh, all the time because it's such an important distinction. This is the mob, the masses, the unwashed, the unclean. This is a word, oxlos, used to look down on, sneer on people that you think you're better than. So this is not a crowd around a fancy dinner table. 
This is a fishing boat story with the shore teeming with people from everywhere that the word has reached, farmland, villages, rangeland, and towns, people who are not doing so well right now, including people who would be doing okay. Remember the whole, we've got the whole, the whole group. This is the same crowd in Mark 6 where Jesus feeds with the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. So these are people also who know that farmers plant seeds and crops grow, and they would know the struggle, the struggle of simply living life. In the ancient Greek times, they would be the agonists, right, at the capricious will of the gods. What will happen next? So this story tells us something about God by telling us something about God's kingdom. The story is sometimes called The Seed Growing in Secret, And of all the titles for that parable, I like that one best. But I think when we talk about the seed that's growing, we have to remember that um, we don't have all the answers. Um, So I I don't want to go, I don't think we have really time to go too much into this idea of secretness in the Gospel of Mark. So um, we're going to pull back out of that. But that is a component of, and since this is only in Mark's gospel. It's worth thinking about this idea of what is happening that sort of the kingdom is here, but not yet. What is happening in this messy, quiet middle ground where people meet together in homes or whisper together in the synagogue that something is happening right now, but not yet. And that energy, that energy pervades the gospel and it pervades this this particular story. So right In the messy part of this kingdom, we have a story about a seed growing in secret. And it's happening in the fields and across the landscape. And it's going on underneath your feet. But not yet. Not yet. And it's pushing up out of the ground. And it is coming to a head. And when it is ripe, when it is ripe, the harvest will be here. There's another push on this ripeness of the harvest. And that is the time is short and what we do matters. And our reading in James helps us underline this angle, that we shouldn't mess around, that there are consequences for what we do here as seedlings, what we do here as we are grown, standing on the ground that will soon produce this seed. The farmer waits for the harvest as the poor man waits for the banquet where he is fed. James warns those who are fattening their own stomachs while letting the hungry have nothing, that you don't get the chance to do this again. The seed is sown and the crops yield and the harvest doesn't come twice. He writes, pay attention, listen, hear the cries of the wages of your field hands. You have lived a self-satisfying life on this earth and a life of luxury. Brothers and sisters, you must be patient waiting for the coming of the Lord. Consider the farmer waiting for rain and fall and spring, looking forward to the precious fruit of the earth. Strengthen your resolve, for the coming of the Lord is near. This is gentle compared to Joel. And it is Joel that we really get the prophetic punch out of this particular story Joel was a prophet that Jesus would have known. Remember, Jesus didn't have the book of Mark. The book of Mark came after that. Sometimes it's easy to imagine. Well, Jesus, he just read from the book of Mark, right? 
Not really, but he would have read from the book of Joel. And Joel says this, let the nations prepare themselves. Cut with the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Go and crush the grapes, for the winepress is full. The jars overflow with wine, for their wickedness is great. Crowd after crowd fills the valley of judgment, for the day of the Lord is near. And in the valley of judgment, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars have ceased shining. Mark might prefer to talk about the kingdom in secret, but the prophet Joel is making no secret at all of God's rage at the excesses of exploitation by the few against the poor. And the many hearers on the shores of the Sea of Galilee would have heard the words of Joel. If we are farmers, we need to wait only to trust in God that the kingdom is even now here. And if we are the seed, we better listen up for the threshing floor is where all that grain ultimately ends up. So, as I warned you, parables bring dismay, right? What? Is that what Jesus is saying? This main part is part of this judgment that there are stakes for the real world when people go hungry, <clears throat> that we cannot have salvation. We cannot have salvation if we impoverish and starve each other, if we make war, if we take too much so that others do not have enough. Some things are just obvious, like war is bad. Right? You don't, you don't have to get snuck up on by a parable to know this truth. If we, are, if we grow as seeds stunted and selfish and greedy and violent, we will not flourish. That's just, that's just obvious. <clears throat> okay. And because I took a deep dive into judgment there, is everybody still okay? You're like, I know, right? This is a hard one. Like, oh, no, the preacher's talking about that scary stuff again. But just to lighten it up, we have to remember that lots of things are obvious, right? Like pickles make terrible dance partners, right? Likewise, pickles are not Santa Claus, no matter what Google images might try to sell you on, right? What are other obvious things in life? Toddlers don't like naps. How many people have a toddler in their house or, or know of one, right? Do they like to nap? Do they like to nap? You like to nap. Okay, that's good. Also, not news and very obvious, your cat has a better life than you do. <laughs> Sorry. Also not news, your cat secretly hates you. Or maybe not so secretly. <laughs> and lastly, baby goats look adorable in tiny little knitted sweaters. We may be talking about heavy things, but life is good. God loves us and we're here to learn, so it's okay. But the million dollar question, if we know that greed and violence causes suffering and degradation, if we know that to build good communities we need a way to actually share and care for each other, why don't we actually do that, right? Why do we plug our ears and be dismayed at that news. Okay, so <clears throat> there's more in this parable that I just love, and there's this really important word that I'm going to pull out. It's a Greek word, automatos, and it's in verse 28. The farmer, the, the 
um, story tells us the farmer planted seeds and then goes about his daily life doing chores while the seeds grow. And verse 27 tells us that the farmer doesn't know how they grow. And verse 28 says that the earth produces crops all by itself. So the word automatos here is the word that comes down to us and we use it as automatic. For us, in the industrial age, something happens automatically. You could sit right here if you put your bottom right there, and then we wouldn't be worried about you falling off. So in the industrial age, we hear the word automatos, like automatic, right? And we think of these sort of mechanized forces. And we don't really worry about it. It's a non-thing. It's a washing machine. You don't, you, machines just work. They just do things automatically. Like if I needed directions from Portland to Seattle, I'd just say, hey, Google, Portland to Seattle directions. And I would get this. And I'd be set and ready to go. And it just does it automatically, right? Millions of little processes. Um, so the part that, they get, that we get right now is this idea of doing it by itself. So the machine, the washing machine does wash the clothes and it does do it by itself. And we don't really need to know how, do we? Do any of us really need to know how I've suddenly got this lovely map? I just want it to work. Just like, if in fact, if it's too slow, I think it's broken and I start messing with things and I make it slower. So, but in Greek though, the word automatos is not about machinery. In the time and place of Jesus, in the Greek, that word counts, so let's break it up. Automatos is a compound word. In the first part, auto, the word auto just means self, oneself. So him, self, true self, I am that one, then me, myself, whatever is going on, I and myself are involved, and I am doing it. This is kind of crazy in a culture where God is seen to do pretty much everything, that we have this distinctive word that shows up, that this is about what I am doing. Auto, me. And you can see this in the different words that there are in the Greek, such as autopus, which is standing on one's own feet, uh, autun, self-existence, autonus, uh, self-willed, uh, uh, automorphus, right? So we hear the amorphous word there that some of this Greek leaks into our language. Um, which means it's self-formed or natural. <clears throat> this one I love, it's so Greek. Autoproctos, the privilege of getting to collect one's own taxes. Wouldn't that be fun? If you had like a, sort of fun, I mean, you'd, we have to run into salvation problems again, but you could go from door to door and get, make people give you money. So, like, what are we going to worship here? Automatos um, is acting of one's own free will, of oneself. And here's the coolest part, one of the cool, there's a lot of cool things here. I'm kind of going to geek out, so you're just going to have to put up with me for a few minutes. But it's collocated, which means, you know, words that, that they find themselves next to each other a lot of the time. Like a red tomato, those two words go together a lot. If you really want to freak people out, you could say a chartreuse tomato, and they'd look at you and go, what are you talking about? So the... Uh, Gignomai means to be born or to become, and that word is often next to automatos. We ourselves, we ourselves, there's something of us in this process to be born and to become. In a worldview of the ancient times where God does so much, it's like Job at one point says, will you back up so I can swallow my spittle? That, that's, God is so in his face. He's like, just, can you back up? 
in that world where God seems to do everything and has God's hand in everything, this idea of one's own will and oneself becoming exists even in the Greek. And all the more importantly, because it's not a given, like it is here, self-reliance. We don't even blink when we hear that word. It's a big deal showing up here. So the second part of the word automatos is mema, and it is also a co-located word with the word maxomai, which means fight. And so basically, mema is an ancient, mema is an ancient word that means to wish eagerly, to strive and to yearn. So imagine this little seed, right? This little seed, this little self seed, wishing eagerly, desiring to be born. How cool is that? And God is talking about, and Jesus here is talking about us as well as seeds. It's talking about the kingdom as well as seeds, that this kingdom is even now automatos, automatically moving, opening itself, moving to be born, and that there is struggle, that there is strife, even in the yearning, and too often, right next to it, there is fighting. Too often, it becomes a struggle. We wrangle. So, the seeds are planted. That little being is even still alive, willful, and whole, just enough to get started. And it will push eagerly, and it will strive, struggle, yearn to be born. The kingdom of God is like this. A seed is like this. And I am like this. So we can see kingdom stories Wow, they talk of big things. They are grounded in the right here and now. They are grounded here in this struggle. Real seeds are not some ethereal, celestial thing, but they are little tiny things that go in the dirt. Real seeds and real people get dirt all over them. In fact, some seeds get eaten and, shall we say, deposited somewhere else to grow. Not exactly the classiest way to be born. Seeds have to break through a shell. More research tells us that plants have some sort of senses, some sort of mechanism. What is that like, bursting through a hard shell to be born? Seeds have to sail across long distances and hope for a soft, moist landing. And then they have to grow. The Australian Academy of Science says, from the outside, seeds may look like they're pretty inactive, and it can be easy to assume there's not much going in the, on in there. In fact, the tissues inside the seeds remain active. In other words, seeds use small amounts of stored energy, staying alive and waiting for the conditions to begin to grow. So, let's recap a little parable of the growing seed. It's a short story that teaches about us about God by teaching us about the kingdom of God, the activity of the kingdom in the world, that seed breaking open even under our feet. It tells us of our humanity, 
that we are eager to be alive as the kingdom is, that to grow, that we are willful, that we struggle, that you can all, not always see what is within us, and that we have the risk of growing stunted, mean, and selfish. Clement says, Oh, foolish men, prepare yourself to a tree, like take a vine. First it sheds its leaves, then it comes to a bud, then a leaf, then a flower. And after this unripe, the unripe grape, then the full bunch. See how in a little time the fruit of the tree comes to ripeness. Truly God shall be quickly and suddenly accomplished. Truly God's will shall be quickly and suddenly accomplished. Time is short. The harvest comes. One of the hardest things that people experience when they pass from this world to the next are the um, regrets that they carry. That they were this struggling seed and they grew tall and they grew all this fruit and then they stepped aside from doing the work that could have mattered more. From that relationship that needed healing. And that's, that's the hardest part. Everything else is okay. So this is bad news for people who choose the world to be about me. This is the dismaying part. Here's the surprise. That we are in the midst. We are people who struggle for justice, fairness, eagerly yearning for the kingdom. And the harvest is not a terrible thing. It is, in fact, wonderful. Right? This is the banquet. This is the fields on the vine. We sometimes hear these stories and we read Joel. And, you know, Joel, you have to kind of have a glass of brandy or something when you're going to read that book. But Joel... He makes it sound as if we're all cast down on the ground. But that's not what this parable offers to turn us. Jesus is talking to the downtrodden. They don't need to be stepped on anymore. Jesus is promising them a meal, a meal he feeds them later on. Jesus is showing them the promise of the kingdom, that they are part of the good harvest, struggling and all but though their lives are crazy hard, it is not the end or the last word or the threshing floor that awaits them, but the fullness of the harvest that God, God's self has promised. This is a surprise ending because that's what parables do. And it's not a happy ending for someone who has going to use the word oxlos, looking down and sneering because they don't want to walk hand in hand in front of the throne of God with that gross guy. And yet we are the same. We are seeds bound inside that hard husk, breaking open, pushing through the soil to the light, Jesus says to us, listen up, pay attention. It matters what you grow up to be and how you live out the promise of the kingdom of God. Grapes are delicious. The harvest feeds and sustains the whole community. It always has. The celebration of this harvest would be a banquet, a 
thanksgiving. Do you have ears to hear? Amen.